Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adel Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adel Marcy, and it's my honor to actually kick off season six of this insane ride that I call my podcast with someone that I deeply respect that has one hell of a great story. Uh, at times I have, personally, he may not know this, I don't think he actually does know this, I saw him as a bit of a rival, um, but only in the sense that I could always see myself, okay, Justin's done this, I need to go do this so I can replicate and he's always been kind of setting the yardstick for me to kind of like chase after him. Um, and I'm just very, very glad to have the one and only Justin Goff on my show. Justin, welcome to the show. That's quite an intro, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's truth, though. Like, uh, I, it's one of those strange little games that I realized I played with people in my younger days was um, because I was so insecure myself. It was, okay, that guy's good. I want to be better what are they doing? And let's chase after them. And I'll be like a rabbit dog running after them. It's, it's like one of the most, the only time I managed to break that was I was at a seminar and I had another copyright. I can't remember who, cause I was out of it. I was like really ill that day. Um, with two stories where I've been ill. Fair enough. This is definitely one of them. Uh, they came up to me and was like, Oh my God, you're Adil. And I was like, yeah, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and they're like, I read your, I read all your stuff. And I was like, and then they told me who they worked for. And I was like, um, why are you reading my stuff? That guy's like a million times better than me, my books. And he was like, no, no, he reads your stuff as well. He recommends you highly. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, that actually happened. Fair enough. Um, so that's how it was for you. But just real quick, shout out to our sponsors before we start the show as well. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Justin123.com. I'm only giving this sponsor for that mailing list because uh, you're going to go there. It's a survey that I want you to fill out. And if you have any, any fucking sense in understanding marketing, copywriting, or basically business and scaling and what we're going to discuss in the show, uh, go sign the fuck up because I did. And it's like a curated list, very curated. You will get removed from it from time to time. If just basically read every single word, I have a fucking folder dedicated to this man's, um, emails. I go back and read like months later and still genuine gold. So definitely go do that. Now, that being said, let's just dive into it with my first thing I want to say to you is how the fuck did you make a hundred grand in like 90 days from going from broke? That's the thing that blows my mind. How did you do that? Yeah. So this was back in 2010 ish or so. Um, I, I tell this story a lot cause it, <laughs> it's a good place to come from. Um, so I basically had what I call the week from hell. Um, yeah, I was, in the span of about three days, uh, my main consulting client who made up about 90% of my income, uh, fired me. Um, he was paying me about 4,500 bucks a month just to do, uh, SEO and a bunch of stuff for his website. And I did some copywriting stuff. So he was moving to a totally different business, getting out of what he was doing. Uh, had no need for me anymore. So let me go. Um, two days after that, my, girlfriend at the time who I'd been dating for about three years, um, came home from work one night. Uh, she was a bartender, came home from work and told me she was breaking up with me. Um, and then that same night, literally that same night, I grew up in Cleveland. So I was a huge, uh, Cavs fan. Okay. Yeah, Cavs and Brown. So that was the night that LeBron James decided to stab Cleveland in the back and leave for Miami back in 2010. <laughs> So, and I was like, like twice in one night, got my heart broken. I'm like, just laying there, just like crying. Um, so anyways, yeah, this all happened in 2010. Uh, I basically hit rock bottom. I had somewhere around a month's worth of money left to live on. I was literally living in a shitty 
$250 a month apartment. And it was me, my two dogs, and then my girlfriend took literally all the furniture, all the beds, everything. I was, <laughs> I was sleeping on a blow-up mattress that literally had holes in it. And I had to wake up every two hours and like reflate it. Um, so just not a, not a good time for me. That, that, that's like a true rock Boston story. Now, real quickly, <laughs> I got to ask, how old were you when this was going on? Uh, so 2010, I'm 35 now. So 25, give or take 25, 26, 25, somewhere in there. Yeah. Wow. So that all happened. Yeah. That happened about the span of a, about the span of three days. And I basically fell into this shitty, just state of despair where I didn't want to do anything. Didn't want to eat. Didn't want to leave the house. Um, after a couple of weeks of that, I kind of picked myself up and I was like, okay, what are you going to do to make money? Um, I honestly thought about moving back in with my parents to save some money for a little bit, basically binge off of them and steal all their food. I thought about going and getting a real job. Um, We're putting that in air quotes, by the way, because they don't exist either. Yeah. Also, it's like modern day slavery. I also, I honestly, had, I had all these ideas. I'm like, all right, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Um, I thought about, I actually emailed a bunch of people I knew who ran websites and was just trying to see if there was anything they would hire me for and nothing really happened. Um, so I basically got to the point where I was like, okay, I've been sitting on this product for probably five months or so. I created this product called the 31 day fat loss cure. It was a ClickBank information product all about, it was all about like kind of paleo CrossFit type workouts way before all that stuff got really, really popular. And I'd been sitting on it. I wrote the copy. I just was kind of like really complacent. I didn't, I didn't do anything to actually put it out there and test it. So kind of like back against the wall, didn't really have any other options. I was like, I'm just going to bust my ass on this for like the next month, get it out there and just see if there's any ounce of, I don't know, any ounce of it working. So Kind of did that, hunkered down. I was working like 12, 15 hours a day, just putting that together and getting it out. And I started running like $10 a day Facebook traffic. And this was obviously a huge deal because I had like barely any money. So this, this is like, like a big percentage of your money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was a significant portion of my net worth at the time. <laughs> um, so I'm running $10 a day on this. And right out of the gate, it started making some sales, not like profitable, not breaking even, nothing like that. But I would spend like a hundred bucks and it would make a sale or two. And I'm like, okay. And then I'd spend another hundred bucks and it'd make a sale or two. And I was like, okay. So I kept at this and I kept, and this is actually interesting. One of the things I changed that made a huge difference. So this was back in the day where I was sending people to this like bridge page where you had to pick whether you're a man or a woman, and then you go to the male VSL or the female VSL and I actually heard a Dan Kennedy talk where he was talking about the biggest thing in direct mail that nobody realizes is the more people you get to open the envelope and actually read it, the conversions go way up. And I was like, okay, the same thing probably appeals here. What if I just sent them straight to the VSL and let me see how that does. And interestingly, like this is back when you could do that kind of shit on Facebook. Interestingly, that worked right away. And I got to the point where I was spending a hundred dollars a day and I was bringing back like a hundred bucks, maybe 120. So I'm starting to break even. And I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And I hadn't really done a whole lot yet to it. And I'm like, I, I think I could really dial in the conversions on this, dial in the lead, the buttons, like everything. 
And at some point I could probably really scale this up. Like it, it didn't seem that big of a stretch to go from spending a hundred bucks a day to 500 bucks a day. And that's really what happened basically within the span of like, I don't know, the next three weeks, maybe that thing just started taking off from some of the conversion tests I did. And I went from spending a hundred dollars a day to $500 a day to within probably about a month. I was spending $5,000 a day. Shit. I was like, taking out credit cards and shit to pay for that and funneling all the money back in because like I, I recognized there was an opportunity here and I'm like, I got to figure out a way to pay for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm like pulling out credit cards and financing everything on there and then ClickBank payments don't, don't come in for like three weeks. So I'm like waiting for all that. Um, but anyways, I got it to the point where I was spending like five grand a day and I was making about two grand a day profit straight off the front end. And uh, yeah, within the span of about three months, I made about $100,000 profit, which at the time was completely life-changing for me. Because um, like I said, I was down to my last month's worth of living expenses. Uh, and not only that, I, ha I really was severely doubting myself as an entrepreneur and a marketer. Yep. Like I, I basically convinced myself that I had really just gotten lucky the last three years that I'd been doing this. And I was like that maybe that's kind of what happens. Maybe I got lucky for a couple of years. I'm not actually cut out to do this. I'm actually not really good at it. Um, but that, that getting that offer working and getting it, bringing in that hundred thousand dollars, not only did it give me the money to keep things going and to basically live for the next year or two. Um, it really gave me the confidence. That I was like, okay, I'm not a fraud. Like I thought I was, I actually do know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, it was a validating moment, which again, everyone needs those. And again, like I, I've been in my crib nearly 12 years. Like by the time the show comes out, it's been 12 years and three months. Um, and by the way, just to give you guys a heads up, 2010, I remember, I think it was 2011 when uh, Colin started the Cult of Copy. You were posting in IMSF, which is Internet Marketing Super Friends. And you were talking about some of the stuff that you're tweaking on this exact offer. I remember reading some of the comments underneath there. And I don't, I didn't reach out to you. I wanted to reach out to you. I think I sent you a friend request. We accepted, but we didn't really speak at all. But I kept watching people mention you. They're like, watch what Justin's doing. Watch what Justin's doing. And to give you, uh, to give you an idea, Justin, I was 21 when I started to see all this stuff like come in. So it was like, it was massively impactful. And now, kind of hearing you kind of fill in the gaps of saying that you doubt yourself, you doubted yourself at that time. Actually, in a weird way, kind of, uh, and I think this is going to happen to a lot of people listening to this. It happens to all of us and it validates our own experiences because far few people actually hear, oh, you were successful and you don't, and you still doubt yourself. And you're like, yeah, motherfucker, that shit happens all the time. Like I spoke yep. to Joe Sugarman and he still doubts himself about some of the stuff he writes. Um, so one of my questions realistically that comes from this perspective is the exact layout, and this is going to sound really weird, but again, because I'm curious, the layout of your offer that you had, was it just a front end that you did the hundred grand off or did you actually have like a funnel that follows up from it with a back end? So this is what's funny. Looking back on it now, I had no idea what I was doing in terms of acquiring customers and funnels and all that. Mm -hmm. I was literally profiting all that money off the front end. There was no upsells on that product. There was no backend emails going out. I didn't understand that you actually were not supposed to make money on the front end. You were supposed to just acquire customers and then make all the money on the back end, which is just 
completely obvious to me now, but at the time I honestly just assumed you're supposed to make all the money on the front end. Yeah. Uh, to the point that even a few years after this, I was running another offer that was doing really well and kind of like breaking even right out of the gate. And I honestly stopped running it on a bunch of email lists because I was like, Oh, it's, it's only breaking even on this one, or it's only making me like 200 bucks. Like I did not realize that a, that's freaking amazing for an offer right out the gate because once you tweak it and kind of dial it in, like you pretty, I was basically sitting on a home run and just had no idea. So yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> left, a, left a lot of money on the table with, with both of those offers. That's for sure. Oh, those are the those are the ones that really kick you sometimes. But honestly, like I think you actually learn from those mistakes and learn from those ideas, and you move on and you go forward and become well, Justin Goff, the guy he is today. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to uh, like ask you about because I've had Stefan, uh, your business partner, well, one of your partners in on this uh, on this podcast before. One of the questions I wanted to ask you specifically was when you're going through the process of writing an offer, like creating an actual offer, what, where do you actually start? Do you start with, okay, I'm going to write the headline and get this thing going and I'm going to build, um, I have an idea of what I want, or do you start with the research and go, what do people want and I'm going to go build it? Like, what's your thought process to it? So it kind of depends. A, am I creating an offer for, from scratch, like for myself? Or am I writing copy for someone else? I don't really write much copy for other people nowadays. I do mostly my own stuff. Um, I meant more for yourself. Like if you were to go through this for yourself. If if I'm doing it for myself, um, it all starts with the customer first and foremost. So figuring out exactly who they are, what they want, what their kind of deep, deep emotions and feelings and stuff that's going on. What's the stuff that's, that's at the top of their mind. That's the stuff that I really try to capitalize on more than anything. So I'll give you a good example of this when we, so Patriot power greens was like my most famous offer that I put out that just crushed um, basically for about three years. We ran that offer and it did close to 300,000 sales. And those were like, high value sales. Like most of the people were spending like 200 bucks on the front end when they bought with us. So those are like really, really good customers. And the re the way I came up with that was actually, I was studying stuff in direct mail. I kept getting all these direct mail pieces for a greens powder. And the first thing I was like, okay, this is obviously working. Cause I keep getting the same piece over and over again. Nobody at that time was doing anything for a greens powder. And I, I really like the angle of like, taking this greens powder and it helps with like nine different things. I was like, okay, I like that angle a lot. And then I was like, okay, I was having a lot of success buying emails that time in the conservative news space. So emails like Glenn Beck, Newsmax, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, how could I angle this so that the conservative customer, the 60, 70 year old man or woman who reads these emails would be really, really attracted to this. And I looked at it from that way. So I kind of reverse engineered it and there was a bunch of other offers that I had seen doing really well. So there was one like a year before this called uh, the biblical money code. It was all about financial investing, but it was all wrapped in like these stories from the Bible and how the Bible can teach you how to make money and blah, blah, blah. That thing crushed. Uh, The reason that crushed is because conservative men and women tend to be super religious and very attracted to the Bible. Uh, there was another offer that dialed into like Ronald Reagan's uh, hidden Alzheimer's disease and how he 
fix that without people knowing about it. And that offer did really well. The reason that did really well is because conservatives have a huge affinity for Ronald Reagan. So I kind of went at it from that angle and I was like, what's the angle that nobody's tapped into yet? And I was like, conservative people have this huge, huge affinity for the military and nobody's really tapped into this angle yet. Um, so basically I took our greens powder. We got like the first, the first test of it made. Uh, and my cousin at the time was in the coast guard in San Diego and I sent a whole box of it out to him. I was like, Hey, you and your guys in your unit test this out. Let me know what you think. Uh, give us some like feedback on it. He's like, okay. So <clears throat> we sent him the thing. Um, and probably, I don't know, three or four weeks later, he starts sending me back kind of what some of the guys, uh, in his unit were saying about it. And most of them was kind of like basic. They're like, Oh, um, I noticed a little more energy or I feel a little better or I like the way it tastes and nothing like great with that. But then one of them that came back was from a guy who was like one of the older guys in their unit. So like most of the guys in the military are like 18, 19, 20 years old. And this dude was one of the older dudes who um, was having trouble because he was older, keeping up with all the young dudes. And he mentioned that this was the first time in a long time that he started beating a bunch of the younger guys on like their personal training test and some of their runs and stuff like that. And he was like, mentioned something about, he's like, it feels good to be the old guy and keeping up with the young guys. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's the hook right there. Um, so I, I went with that and I, I formed this huge story around it and played up the drama and all that about how this uh, elite military unit uh, in San Diego where the old guys were now keeping up with the young guys and here's what they were doing. And so that became the whole hook and the whole story behind it. And the first time we literally did an email buy that worked, we spent $3,000 on that email buy. And that day it literally brought back $15,000. And I was like, I had to literally double check the stats cause I thought something was broken. And I went and I was like, Holy shit. I've never seen, this big of a return on a $3,000 email buy. So we did another one and the exact same thing happened again. And I was like, wow, we, we just hit an absolute grand slam with this offer. Yup. That sounds amazing. Now, one of the questions I do have is it, it does relate to uh, the email that you sent out today about Dan Kennedy. And that was this idea of how your mind had basically been shifted in understanding success and money. Because let's be honest, you can have a grand slam of a winner, you make a ton of money, but if your mindset really isn't able to accept that, you'll find a way to lose all that money very quickly. Yep. So my question is, what advice would you give to someone that's kind of either starting out or not got that consistency of good uh, money coming in? What could they do to in, in order to actually help their mindset? Like basically a lesson from Dan. I mean, you can't really ask him right now, unfortunately. So one of the biggest lessons I learned from Dan uh, in regards to money had to do with actual selling. And I always had this idea in my head that selling was scammy or selling was sleazy and that by me selling something, I'm profiting, the other person is losing, I'm ripping them off, shit like that. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people commonly feel like this and it tends to go back to a lot of the programming you usually picked up from your parents. Like my parents had very, very bad money beliefs. Like I grew up thinking rich people were assholes. I grew up thinking that rich people got rich off the backs of like hardworking people. Um, I grew up thinking that 
you have to work hard to make money, which is not necessarily true at all. Um, and I grew up with a very, like my dad is a very blue collar. He works in a factory for 20 bucks an hour and puts in 12 hour days. And that's very much the mindset of my family growing up, which is very different from the mindset you need to have about money as an entrepreneur. So one of the big things that Dan taught was that when you sell something to somebody, it's actually a win-win. There's not a, there's not a winner and a loser. Uh, people buy stuff all the time. People waste their money on 9 million things. So if you're selling them something that actually helps them or they feel that it helps them, uh, you're doing a good thing. And the reality is if you're selling something that actually helps them, um, you actually have every responsibility to sell that to them. Um, and so not kind of like pull your punch and feel bad about taking their money. So that in particular to me was a, was a huge, huge shift in kind of the way I looked at selling and copywriting in general. That's excellent because that is true for me. It was uh, Jay Abraham that told me that it was like, the, it's your, it's your responsibility to make sure they buy enough often enough and uh, consistently enough, basically buy the right amount they need as often as they need from you every single month or every single time they interact with you. That is your responsibility. Otherwise, you're doing them a massive disservice. And um, the analogy that really embedded it from home for me wasn't from Jay. I don't remember who even told me this analogy. It was, imagine that you had the cure to AIDS and you were literally stood in a room full of people that, had, that were HIV positive and had AIDS. And the cost of the actual cure, not the treatment, but the cure was merely a thousand dollars. That's all it was. It's only a thousand dollars. It's the most miraculous thing, but you only sell it for 1000. How hard are you going to push that cure to everyone that's in front of you? Even if they're completely destitute and have no money, but you know, that this will save their life and help them actually get to the other side. The reason they're broke is because they're spending thousands and uh, thousands a year just basically trying to just get by and your thing basically consolidates that and it gives them a reason to live and i was like shit that hits home for me he goes okay so now you got to get rid of that fear of beast basically telling people what to do and how to buy because that's how it works um you got to make sure that people move forward now i actually did because you're a because you are a, a, from cleveland so you are a browns fan and you are a Caval are you still a cavaliers fan or no yeah, I'm a long-suffering Cleveland fan. I've got to ask, what's uh, what? Uh, this is just a complete side time for me because I do follow basketball. I do like basketball, but what's uh, what's your take on what basically went down with uh, what was it with LeBron leaving again because he went to the Lakers? What what are your chances? Do you guys feel like is going to be for the for the next season coming? I mean, the Cavs are going to be really bad for a while because um, they sacrificed so much when LeBron was there. Which, as a Cleveland fan, I would say me and all my friends were fine with that. Like, we were okay with winning one championship and then being terrible for 10 years. Like, when you suffer for so long as a Cavs fan and literally never think they're ever going to win anything, um, the fact that they won one championship is, like, all we need. So, <laughs> we're pretty easy to please. I don't know what the other championship was, but I do remember at the same time the Cavs won the NBA championship uh, Stipe Miocic, another Cleveland boy, basically won the World Heavyweight Championship. And he only recently reclaimed it again. Uh, yep. TK Young. I still, I, I love the fact that he was like, I did. I watched old school before I went out, and I wanted to do a little jig. And it was stupid. I'm like, dude, that is like the greatest thing you could have ever done in a post-fight interview. 
is the jig that Will Fowl did in old school. I'm sorry, you just became my hero for that. <laughs> um, so obviously you got the pride there. My question, like how this all ties back to what I wanted to ask you was like, how do you manage your time between working on stuff that you love to do, like offers, creation, all the other fun stuff, and actually just chilling out with your friends and relaxing, you know, having a beer, having a drink, and, you know, watching sports that you enjoy? How do you personally do that? So that's a, that's a really good question. And for me, for a long time, uh, I was not able to really do that because I was such a workaholic where mm -hmm. I would work 12 hours a day. I'd work on Saturdays. I'd work on Sundays. And I felt guilty if I didn't do that. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from that. You, you feel like everybody else is working on Saturday or if I work on Saturday, I can get ahead or I need to work on Saturday to keep up with everybody else. So I had actually always done that for a long time and just kind of recently in the last, I don't know, year or two, I've gotten, I've learned to kind of let go of that and be a little more, um, be a little more okay with the fact that I'm going to get as much done as I can during the hours that I say I'm going to work. Um, and if I don't like, it, it's not a huge deal. It's really not, nothing's like life changing. Like, working on Saturday for 12 hours a day or working on Sunday for 12 hours a day is not going to change my life in any noticeable way. Um, if you're working because you actually want to work, that that's a little different. And like, I'm kind of like that as well, where some Saturdays I don't have anything to do and um, I have no problem writing an email or doing a couple of things. But I've gotten to the point now where I, I, I get up at a certain time. I, I actually just recently started waking up a little earlier than I normally do. And I try to knock out as much as I can as like in like those first three hours of the day to the point where if I was to stop right there, I would still be pretty reasonably happy with what I got done for the day. Um, and that's kind of what I, something I learned from Craig Ballantyne. He calls it the magic time where everybody, everybody has like a two to three hour window where they can literally get like three times as much done as they would at some other time during the day. Like I know for me personally, I'm really, really bad at, getting stuff done in the middle of the day. So it's one of the reasons why I'll schedule calls during that time. I'll schedule podcasts. I'll do stuff like that during the middle of the day because I know I'm not gonna be able to focus and like sit there and write 10 pages of a sales letter. But at 7 a.m. in the morning when nothing's going on in my house and it's quiet and the sun's still coming up, I can write really, really, really well. So a lot of it is really figuring out what, what time of the day you work best at uh, and kind of protecting those hours at all costs. Um, so like if somebody right now, I, I just bought a new house and there's people coming by to like, uh, put my pool in and stuff like that. And they're like, okay, we'll be over tomorrow at eight o'clock. And I'm like, nope, like seven to nine thirty, like is protected time. Like you're not coming over anytime during then. So you can come over at 10, you can come over at 11, but that time is like my writing time. That's like my hardcore work time. So I've gotten pretty serious about protecting that time that to me is super, super valuable in getting stuff done. That's awesome because like that's the reason I asked it because again, I've, I've been through that and I'm going through that. And when you were speaking about it, it's like, yeah, my best times are early morning around 6 a.m. I like to get up and uh, 6 a.m. till 9.30 a.m. is basically jujitsu and martial arts time for me. That's the time I've got to go to the gym. I, I got to get my workout done. If I don't, I'm not going to work out that day. I just know myself. 
And then the afternoon, like you, I don't like working in the afternoon. The afternoon time, I don't like doing it. Lately, I've been kind of pushing myself to do so. And then evenings, obviously, uh, I get like that ramp up again right during the last part of the evening, like from 8 p.m. till about 12 is like my golden hour for writing again because I just go for it. So while you're talking about this, my brain literally just went to, why don't you just start napping in the afternoon? Like take naps and you, you only need about six hours to function anyway. So like sleep four hours in the evening, do your training, do your morning like workout, whatever you do until 12. And then from 12 till three, take a nap and then get up again and keep doing the podcast and then do your work in the evening. I was like, that could work out quite well for me. There you go, man. It's always fun. Now, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you particularly, Justin, would be, um, it's because I know my audience well enough. And again, I have been in this position and I am that kind of person. What advice would you actually give someone that is, they're really good at what they do, but have no fucking clue how to get themselves out there. Like that's kind of, because I've been asked that question a lot on different shows. I personally asked that question a lot to different people, but I'd love to get your take on it. Can you, can you say the question again? Oh, the question is you're really, you're good at what you do. Like, you're very good at what you do, but you have no idea how to get yourself out there. Could be fig. It's it could be imposter syndrome. Could be judgment from like some asshole that you pissed off six years ago that still looms in your head. Whatever it could be. So, what would, what advice would you give that person? So, would you say give, give me an example? So, I want to make sure I understand it clearly. So, like a copywriter who's good at writing copy, but they're afraid to what charge more, or they're afraid to actually get out there and actually write. That's the one. They're not so much right, but they're afraid to put themselves out there and like, hey guys, I'm actually good at what I fucking do. Pay attention to me. That kind of thing. Like they put, they're scared of putting their, their, their knowledge out there. Not because they don't want anyone to steal it. They just, they're, they're terrified they'll get judged and yep. that entire imposter syndrome of, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing will come up. Yep. So, I mean, a lot of it goes back to just being honest with where you're at. So, Let's say, let's say you're a newbie and you want to start writing about copywriting and put yourself out there. Be very honest. Don't try to, don't try to act like you're an expert or something that you know a bunch about. Uh, put yourself out there as I'm learning this and like, maybe you're going to write a blog about it. And I'm going to write about exactly what I'm going through right now and what I'm learning from that and stuff like that. And you're not sitting there you're not sitting there essentially trying to teach people, but you're just kind of sharing the experience that you're going through. So one of the things like I actually do a lot in my emails is I share a lot of like the struggles and shit that I'm going through. Um, because I know, I know people relate to it really, really well. Um, no matter what level you're at, you're going to struggle. Uh, and if you're more, I, I tend to be a perfectionist. So I struggle with it even more where it's like, Oh, I need to put this out there and if, or I want to put this out there, but it needs to be at this level or it needs to be perfect or whatever my thought is around that. Um, but the more I've realized is that people actually enjoy when you just kind of share the process that you're going through and how, how you feel about it. Um, that's, that's really what they want because they, they can pick out what they learned from that on their own. Um, but that, that's really what they want. They want to connect with. They don't want to connect with you being perfect and you knowing exactly what to do. They want to connect with someone who's kind of going through similar struggles, uh, someone who's kind of may, might be in the same spot as them, or maybe somebody who's above them. But, oh, that's interesting to know that Justin still struggles with sitting down and actually writing sometimes. Like, that's the type of shit I, I love to share because I, I've realized very quickly that 
people will relate to that. That's awesome. If there's ever a concise way of saying that, I think you just found it, which is amazing. <clears throat> and by the way, just in that point, I, I do love reading about that kind of stuff because there are enough times I'm like, God damn it, I'm going through the exact same thing and this guy can relate. <laughs> so it works so very well. Now, one of the questions I did ask you earlier, but I don't think uh, I'm going to ask you in a different way because I want to figure this out from your perspective. When you're sitting down and actually writing a piece, um, what would you say would be one of the biggest glaring mistakes people have? Because one of the cool things that you've, uh, you have spoken about is how when people are mentored by you, they very quickly over a very short space of time start making way more money and start really kind of like improving their copy. And that doesn't come just by accident. That comes because you have a system of what you're looking for and you know what mistakes are being made. So my question would be, what mistakes are most common that you see that are being made by new copyrights and business owners? And um, what would you, what advice would you give to fix them? Yeah, so one of the biggest things, uh, so Stefan Georgie, who's my partner in a Copy Accelerator, which is a group where we train copywriters, um, we have probably seen, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of copy in the last couple months. Uh, we help like 70 different businesses with their copy. And the one thing that sticks out all the time is you either did not do enough research or you did not kind of outline um, your big idea, your unique mechanism, the story you want to use, the promise you're going to use. If that stuff is not outlined beforehand, the copy never uh, hits a point where it's like clear enough exactly like who you're talking to and what you're kind of promising them. And we see this literally over and over and over again. So one of the things we make everybody do is before they write a 40 page sales letter is they go, have to do this whole research brief, which uh, involves doing tons of research on like Facebook groups and forums and Reddit and uh, email like customer service stuff and reading or if you can actually talk to the person even better because you're gonna find out even more doing that. Um, and then the second part of that is really writing out this one page sheet where it's like, okay, what's the, um, what's the primary promise of this product? Like what's the, if you could only make one promise for this product, what is that gonna be? What's the unique mechanism that makes it work? And what's the interesting story that you're gonna tell in this to really bring the whole big idea together? Um, we kind of start there because the more copy I've read and the more I look at, I realize almost everything goes back to not truly understanding who the customer is or what the product's going to do for them. A lot of people have like basic ideas of who the customer is. So like they'll know, well, yeah, I'm writing to men and women between the age of 55 and 75 who are politically conservative and um, here's kind of what, yeah, here's kind of what they're dealing with and that. But like, you got to get down to an emotional level of like how they're thinking. What does their entire day look like? So from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed, what does that day look like? And what are they pissed off about? What are they in pain about? What are they sad about? Uh, what are they fearful of? That's the kind of deeper knowledge and the deeper kind of like insights you have to dig into. So like if I was writing a biz op offer, it's not, it's not as big of a deal to know everything about um, the product you're going to be selling them. It's more a bigger, bigger deal to know, all right, this guy I'm writing to uh, feels a ton of shame because he doesn't make a, a, he doesn't make a lot of money. He's working a job he really doesn't like. Um, 
he feels kind of insignificant around his wife because um, his brother-in-law makes $150,000 a year. And here he is like a cashier at Target making 40 grand a year. Um, so he feels kind of insignificant when he's around other guys. He feels insignificant around his wife. Um, every morning when he gets up and drives to work, he's stuck in traffic for 45 minutes and he's just steamed up and pissed off and ready to break something. Then he gets to work and he realizes that um, his boss, who he hates, who's got who's five foot three and got little man syndrome and like just goes off on him every day. He just wants to like rip his neck off. That's the type of shit you can tap into in the copy because those are deep seated emotions that if you can tap into that and really hit on that stuff, you're going to be able to sell that person whatever you want. Um, as opposed to being like really focusing on what you're trying to sell them. If you could really empathize with the situation they're in now and how they're feeling, you can kind of sell anybody anything. Agreed. I would agree with that like a million percent. And if I, if I may, could I add one last thing that would just really kind of like push that over the edge slightly? Yeah. What you said about talking to them, try and talk to them and record that conversation and then look at exactly the words they're using specifically to decide to talk about what they're saying. It's, it gets really, really boring. I'm not going to lie. So it's like, for me, I find it fascinating, but the average person that isn't a slight psychopath, they might find it boring. Um, me, I find it fascinating because you find out that people use words that are sensory based, like see, hear, feel, do, like, they, they use those. Like I feel this way or I hear, it, the, I hear you saying this or do you see what I mean? They have those instances and because they have those instances, it automatically puts in the case when I'm writing the copy, I'll use that same vernacular they have to relate to them. So ultimately it's like I'm interrupting that conversation in their mind as Eugene Schwartz would say. So like study the words that they're using if you speak to them. That's the thing I'd add. And, yep, completely and it makes a huge difference in conversions because uh, you're literally just feeding them back the exact things they're saying. Um, so like if women, if you're writing something about weight loss and you interviewed 10 women and they said something about being thin, but you use the word skinny instead, it's not going to connect as well. So that, that ties back in exactly with what you're saying. If you can figure out the exact words they use and feed those right back to them, yeah, it's, it's crazy the difference that makes. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I found this with um, – so I'm currently – like by the time this show comes out, it should be live. I, for absolutely ages, I was uh, – I was like Stefan's actually seen my formula for how I write copy, and he was like, holy crap, this is actually pretty good. So that was a great validation. Um, from that perspective, I was trying to teach this one thing. It's like, how do you be, how do you write really good copy? That's what I want to teach you how to do. So how you can become a really good writer in a short space of time by basically understanding these principles. And then I realized that's bullshit because by the time you've actually understood that you need to write copy, you've already pretty much gone through copy costs and courses. You know, you've got like a style already. Yes, you can pick up a couple of things, but you're kind of already in, you already have like a way of thinking. Or you're going to wonder what the fuck is copywriting and it's not really going to work out. But the whole idea behind my, my training was um, and is this idea that, okay, what's the common denominator? You haven't made six figures yet from any offers you put out there. What's the biggest common denominator? It's not that you don't know how to make six figures. Everyone knows how to make six figures in the business. We've been given the blueprint. 
find an audience. We've actually covered part of it in here. Do your research, find a good offer, build a list, mail that list, you know, so many different things. What's the common thing that hardly anyone never used to talk about, but a lot of people talk about today, get the right story in, understand how to figure out your story, put it out there. something what we covered on the show. Once you do that, that's just expansion. And that basically will be the crux of what you need to have in the first three modules. And then after that, it's basically, how do you import that story into your videos? How do you import that story into your emails? How do you import that story to your sales copy, to your offers? And how do you even find the right one to talk about in the right instance? So that's basically where, I, uh, where it came to for me. So yeah, totally in agreement with you on this one. Just like having that clarity of knowing massively shifts things. So one of my favorite questions as we're heading off to this part of the show is uh, I'm, I always do this with different numbers of books and movies for people. For you, I'm going to go with 10 because I don't know why, but 10 seems correct. There are rules to this. So you have, uh, I want 10 recommend recommendations from you, but four of them have to be either fictional books or movies. The other six could be nonfiction books that you basically would recommend. What would they be? So my favorite book ever, um, my, let's, let me re rephrase that. My favorite author ever is Charles Bukowski. Um, his writing, I think he writes in a way that is so easy to read, yet so entertaining. Um, it, it's kind of a good model for, for honestly any kind of writing, whether that's copy, emails, whatever it is. So his book, Post Office, and his book, uh, he has a book called Women, are two of my favorites. Highly, highly recommend those. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I'm actually giggling because those are the first two books of his that I picked up and two of my favorites that I've actually kept. So I nice. have a like dog-eared, worn-down version. It's barely holding it together, copy of Women. And uh, I've got like one very similar that's tatty as all shit of Post Office. Nice. So, so this makes me happy that we have the same recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually rereading uh, Post Office right now. And uh, yeah, just don't, I, I just fucking love that book. Um, movie wise, so Goodwill Hunting is my favorite movie ever uh, by far. I just, ever since the first time I saw it, I just immediately, I think I, I think I really resonate with um, Will, Matt Damon's character, just, He's kind of like a lone wolf, uh, which I've kind of always been for a while. It's taken me a, a long time to kind of try to break out of that. I, I kind of always kept to myself. Um, I definitely identified a lot with his character through that movie. Um, so yeah, definitely my favorite movie. Um, probably my second favorite movie would be uh, No Country for Old Men. Great movie. Uh, based on the Cormac McCarthy book uh, of the same title. Um, that movie to me, just the, the cinematic kind of way it's shot, the story it tells the characters and how authentic the characters are, um, to me is just amazing. And I'll throw one more in there because Mad Men to me is the greatest TV show ever. Um, probably obviously appeals to me because I love copywriting. I love business and I have a real kind of nostalgia for like the 1960s every time I watch Mad Men I'm like oh I just love the, I love the awesome suits and sitting in the office smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey um, but the storytelling in Mad Men and the character depth to me is just 
has never really been matched. Um, and I've actually, <laughs> this is actually really embarrassing. I've watched Mad Men straight through from episode one all the way to season uh, seven more than 10 times. Oh, God. Yeah, I just, and it's crazy because it's so detailed that every single time I pick up new shit from it, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even notice that before. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of Mad Men. And anybody who's a copywriter or who geeks out, on, geeks out on advertising like we do, you need, you need to dive into Mad Men. Oh, definitely. I still remember season one and uh, talking to Colin Terrio about it. Like, I actually used one of the, because at the time I did door to door sales as well, because um, <coughs> I listened to Gary Halbert. And Albert was like, you got to hold a position in every, uh, in every level of business and selling to really understand. I was like, okay. And I think it was actually, it was Dan Kennedy that said this, that if you've actually done door-to-door sales and have that as an experience as a CEO and you're selling your company to an investor, that alone will actually increase the value of the company because it shows that you've actually sold uh, face-to-face. So you know exactly how to sell face to face. So it just it weirdly adds like a layer of uh, trust. Um, but at the time, I was watching Mad Men. I think um, there was a there was a close that uh, it was an attitude that Don Draper had that I just used. I don't know. I can't remember what it was specifically, but I used it in a close, and they said yes. It was like the happiest day of my life at that point. <laughs> the other one I'd say I'd add this movie, and I don't know if you've seen it, Boiler Room. Yeah, I love Boiler Room. That is a classic. And if you look at the cast, you've got Giovanni Ravizzi, you've got uh, Ben Affleck, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Yeah, you just got like a really good cast of people in there. But that movie is just so good. I used to watch that when I was like, I was in college. And I remember like when I had dreams about making a bunch of money. Um, and I remember I started watching Entourage. I was like right when Entourage came out when I was in college. And like really like pumped me up to make money. I was, I'd watch Entourage and I'd watch Boiler Room like nonstop. You know, I was just like, that's the life I want to have. That's, I want to make, I want to make money like these dudes. <laughs> yeah. You either got a, what was it? A Wicked Hood J or you're slinging <laughs> the same crack. You're either things. slinging crack rock or you got a Wicked Jump Shot. That's the one. Thank you for the direction. But <laughs> I got that movie was like still one of my favorites. Like get them to say yes, no matter what. If you were drowning right now through your life jacket, would you take it? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Pick up 250 sucks. <laughs> that, I did use that. I used that sale. I did use that on a door-to-door salesperson as well. I actually asked them if I, would, if I threw them a life jacket. I was like, I'm throwing your life jacket right now. Pick up this uh, company that I'm working with. And they said, yes. And I remember going back to the office and talking to my managing director at the time. Like, how did you close three people today? Because the average was you get two in a day and you're the man. But like my first week, I got like three people every single day that week. And then my uh, mindset was very much affected by the office. So it just plummeted, which is a, in a way a good thing because it showed me that, A, I'm resilient because I kept going to the same commission job ever with uh, where you work six days a week, long hours in the field. And I, st- and I made zero sales for I think three months straight before I said, okay, uh, the copywriting gig is kind of working out because I wrote a, I wrote a piece uh, for the for a real estate company that did I think about they did three point five million pounds about six million dollars and I basically took home like uh, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars from that and I was like cool I'm a young idiot with money I'm gonna leave this job right now <laughs> that was my only thought. 
but sorry for diving in there. You, I think you've got like six more books to go. Oh, so you want me to give you 10? All right. Yeah, no, we can go there. you got like six books that are nonfiction now. Let's, let's go with that, that side. Wait, you, you want fiction or you want nonfiction? Nonfiction. This is the okay. nonfiction side of this question. So the number one book I recommend everybody read uh, when it comes to business stuff is Michael Masterson's Ready, Fire, Aim. Um, that book, if you're in the info product business or you're doing anything with copywriting or building a business online, it's kind of like the blueprint for the stages of how you should do that in terms of acquiring customers and building backend offers and stuff like that. Um, huge, huge fan of that book. Stephen Pressfield's Turning Pro uh, was a huge book for me that, that really changed my mind in terms of um, just in terms of the stuff I was doing that I was holding on to. He compares the pro and the amateur. I had a bunch of traits of an amateur. So when you turn pro, you, you change things, you start treating things like a professional would. Um, I was still for a long, long time living in the world of the amateur. Uh, so reading, reading that book was a huge eye-opener. It's, it's kind of similar to his other book, uh, The War of Art, but actually, to me, I like turning pro a lot better. Um, let's see, what else? I'm a huge fan of... A lot of entrepreneurs are really good at making money, but a lot of entrepreneurs are not really good at keeping and growing money. Yep. Um, one of the things I really dove into, so I had a big buyout in 2017. It's kind of when I became like a multimillionaire and I needed to figure out what the hell to do with all the money I got. It was literally just sitting in a bank account. I came from kind of a place where I had no idea how to manage money, how to invest money. I really dove into, uh, Jack Bogle, who was the founder of Vanguard, he's written a couple of really good books. Um, and there's a famous one called The Bogleheads Guide to Investing. So he kind of has this huge following based on his uh, investing strategies, which uh, are super simple. They're easy to understand. It's basically put your money in index funds, don't touch it, keep low fees, and like let it grow over your lifetime. And it's if you do that, you can basically beat 95% of investors uh, the only types of people who can actually beat the market, uh, Warren Buffett's been able to do it. And there's been like a couple other guys who can be able to do it, but every average person assumes they can do it and people can't do it. Uh, and it's kind of dumb where you can, you can do this index investing, stuff like that. That's super easy. That takes maybe one hour every two months to kind of update it. And you can get better results. Like I said, you can be an A plus investor just by doing that. So I highly recommend that there's a whole lot of entrepreneurs, copywriters that are focused very much on making money, but have no idea how to actually save and keep money and invest it so that you can finally retire one day and not work till you're 75 years old. So highly recommend that book. It's called the Boggleheads Guide to Investing. Um, let me think, what else do I got? Think and Grow Rich, when I read that originally, was I remember that being huge. Kind of along that same lines, Dan Kennedy's uh, Wealth Attraction for Entrepreneurs book. That was a big, big one for me. Because like I said, I, I came in with a ton of really bad beliefs about money. And Dan really goes through there and shows you that so much of your beliefs about money uh, that you think are true are not necessarily true. Like they could be true, but <clears throat> you see them as truth and the reality is they're it's kind of your version of the truth. Um, so that was hugely helpful for me. 
Um, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a lot more. Oh, Michael Masterson's uh, Great Leads. Probably the best, the best book on writing leads for sales letters. Um, huge fan of that. And then if you're kind of a newer copywriter, uh, Bob Bly's The Copywriter's Handbook, uh, I think probably lays out what copywriting is better than any other book. Agreed. I'd say the only other book that could do justice to that would be John Carlton's Kick-Ass Secrets of a Marketing Rebel. That's the only other thing that would actually even compare to Bob Bly's work. On yep. that, thing. that dude's crazy. He's written so many goddamn books. It's like, I think it's like 87 right now, like books that he's written. Like, I, I struggle to write one. I'm like, how do you got to 87? This is insane. But last, genius is at that level. So Justin, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for actually being a part of this podcast. I appreciate you being my first guest kicking off 2020, which is so horrifically weird to say out loud. Um, but one of the big things I really encourage everyone, every single person listening to this, is follow Justin, find out what he's doing, get on this guy's list. If there's a spot at a Copy Accelerator Mastermind or even the Copy Accelerator itself, get in. Don't be a fucking idiot. Just get in. This is one that like, I'm telling you as someone that can teach people how to write copy in a very short space of time, go to these fuckers, just go to him and Stefan's work and you will be fucking blown away. And that is like the highest recommendation I can give you. Um, Justin, any last final words before signing off? No, man, I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, like you said, the easiest way to follow me, if you want to like see what's going on, what I'm doing, see the stuff I share is, is on my email list. Um, it is a private email list. So you can't just opt in like most email lists. So you actually have to apply to be on it. Um, but if you go to justin123.com, you'll see the application there, just like a Google doc, uh, application form. You can fill that out. And then if you, uh, if you kind of meet the, meet the requirements for being on the list, uh, I basically go through that every day and um, usually within like 48 hours you get put on the list and then you'll start get start getting an email from me every day. But if you kind of want to follow along with what I'm doing and see the, some of the stuff I share in terms of copy and marketing, uh, that's the place to do it. Yep. And just his overall weird insights on life, which I can tell you quite strange, but I love them anyway. Um, <laughs> Justin, thank you for being a guest. And as always guys, please rate, review, share, subscribe, um, the more that people get in, the better. And again, if you have any requests for any other guests that we have, please send them over to me via the contact form on adelmarcy.com. Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thanks again. Thank you.